0: Y'all can go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 12, or if you never closed your Bible, you can leave it on Romans chapter 12 for the time being. Uh, (coughs) Sermon this morning, obviously not coming from Genesis, Um, we're going to take a break from that. Um, For the moment, we have been blessed as a church body to have a couple of couples that are... uh, leaning towards and moving towards church membership. And so I wanted to take um, time and an opportunity to talk about this with everyone. Because since I've been the pastor here, we haven't had uh, a Sunday directly where we've just uh, spent some time considering truly being a part of the body of Christ or committing ourselves to a local assembly. And what a blessing uh, and a privilege that is, but also what a responsibility that is as well. And so I want us to consider a few different things this morning. This is it's not going to be a sermon with with points per se. I'm just going to do my best to point to uh, biblical passages uh, and bring out some of the key aspects or key characteristics of church membership which that term you won't find in scripture joining a church being uh, officially joining through church membership you won't find that language but what you will find is being a part of the body of christ what you will find are charges to not forsake the assembling together and just through a reading of the new testament you you would consider oh well a letter to the church at galatia a letter to the church at Ephesus, a letter to the church at Corinth, and so on and so forth. You say, oh, well, that's that's a local body of believers in Ephesus, a body of believers in Corinth. And so this idea or this thought of a local body of believers meeting together and being of the same mind, being of one accord, and being accountable to one another, which is something that is probably the, the topic or the aspect of of membership or of truly being a part of the body of Christ that gets overlooked or, or even worse yet, gets intentionally neglected the most. Being accountable and being open to church discipline and church correction. You see all these things uh, clearly outlined for us and exemplified for us in Scripture. We're not going to do a... Uh, a scholarly level deep dive or even a, a university level deep dive as if you were taking a, a Bible class and we were discussing the topic of being a part of the, the body of Christ or a member. But we are going to look at some key components this morning. Starting with, in order to be a member of the body of Christ, in order to be a church member, we must start with salvation. Salvation. You, can, you cannot truly be a member of the body of Christ. Without actually being in the body of Christ. Being in Christ. Which is only accomplished through the new birth. It is only accomplished through regeneration. Now in an outward sense. You say well has there ever been somebody. That maybe they weren't truly converted. But yet they joined a local church. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite confident that that has happened numerous times. But can anybody truly inwardly be a part of the body of Christ? Can anyone inwardly be in Christ without being a church member? No. If you are saved, if you are in Christ, you are a part of the body of Christ. You are a member of the body of Christ. But we as a church... And hopefully all churches before they welcome any new members into the fold, welcome them into the congregation and as members in good standing or members in good fellowship. Hopefully the criteria of truly showing signs and fruit of salvation would be first and foremost in what they are looking for. Because in becoming a member of a local assembly, in joining and committing yourselves to a local assembly, first and foremost, you would say, well, I'm acknowledging that these things are exemplified and these things are given to us in Scripture. That we are supposed to meet together. That we are supposed to worship together. That we are supposed to be united and be um, at peace with one another. And that we are supposed to practice church discipline. And I... I want to be a part of a local assembly that does this. I want to be a part of a local body of believers who meet together, worship together, serve together, and glorify God together. And certainly that desire to that extent would not even be there, would not even be present in a person if they had not truly been born again and God led them to have that conviction that they need to commit themselves to be a part of a local assembly. We know that the new birth only comes about by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God, raising us up to new life through Jesus Christ. And if we simply look uh, at Acts chapter 2, you don't have to go there, but if you were to look at that and read that account on your own, it says that about 3,000 souls were added that day, as many as believed. A body of believers, simply put, is made up of those who believe. Those who believe what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Christ. Those who believe that Scripture is the Word of God. Those who believe that salvation only comes through Christ alone and that He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so we start there simply. we One must be saved. Must be born again. Being a part of the body of Christ is is an exclusive privilege. It's inclusive in in the sense that all who come to Christ will be saved. But actually being a part of that body is exclusive only to those who have been born again. You're already in Romans 12. We'll start there once more. We'll pick it up in in verse 1. But if you were to ask yourself... Well, I'm already a church member. And you may say, I've been a member of this church that we're at right now for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. But maybe maybe it's been a while since you really stopped to ponder the question, what is a good church member? What's a biblical church member? What's the point of being a church member? And so we turn our attention to Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service. So right out of the gate, every single person that is a part of the body of Christ, every single person that is a part of a local assembly, ought to be aware and ought to be intentional about living their lives As a living sacrifice for the glory of God. And with that thought in mind, you say, wow, that's actually pretty amazing to think about. A local body of believers is men and women from various walks of life. All having different backgrounds and different histories. And different life challenges that they've experienced. But yet, they have been brought together through the work of redemption of Jesus Christ through the grace of God. And now they have committed themselves together, each one of them individually, living their lives as living sacrifices. And now coming together as a local assembly of brothers and sisters in Christ who are together laying down their lives in service to the King, in obedience to God, living their lives As a living sacrifice. Now, I would also ask you to ask yourself the question have we ever viewed our own lives individually? And have we ever viewed the life of the church through that lens? And if the answer is no, not really, then I would encourage you to begin viewing it through that lens. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And again, this is immediately this is to the individual, each and every believer, each and every member of the body of Christ, this is for us individually. Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed. Say, how does that happen? How 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 do I become transformed? By the renewing of your mind. How does our mind become renewed? Well, through the new birth. We literally have new life. We're a new creature. We've been given a new heart. How does the Christian learn? How does the Christian mature? How does the Christian grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding? The Word. As we are in the Word. As we are of the Word. As we submit to the Word. As we hear the preaching and teaching of the Word. As we study the Word. God in His mercy and His grace through the Spirit. Renews our minds and sanctifies us. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Now, keep in mind, we are on the book of Romans. This would have been to a group of believers, and they're literally reading this letter. And Paul says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given or that God has assigned The next specific thing that I want to point out. We started with salvation. Living our lives as a belief. Living our lives as a living sacrifice. Renewing the mind. Specifically next I want to point out humility. Each and every member of the body of Christ. Each and every member of the local assembly. Ought to be someone who is truly humbled under the mighty hand of God. Humbled by grace. Grace. Take a moment to consider that each one of us, myself included, from the pastor all the way down to the person who has been here the shortest amount of time, the person that this may be your first time here with us today. There is not a one of us who deserves to be here today hearing from the Word of God. But even more than that, for those of us who say we are believers, we belong to God, there certainly is not a one of us. Who deserves or who has earned the privilege of saying, I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I'm free from the wrath and the condemnation of God. There is not a one of us who earned that. Who fought for that. Who worked for that. We are the recipients of grace. And because we are the recipients of grace and because we ought to daily remind ourselves we are not worthy of the title or the name Christian. Then we ought to be a people who never thinks too highly of ourselves. Because we understand that we are not saved because of anything that we have done. We are not the recipients of grace because of anything we have done. We don't have the honor and the privilege of worshiping God because of anything that we've done. We don't have the honor and privilege of worshiping God alongside other men and women who have been saved. We haven't earned that. We haven't done anything. We don't get to do that because of anything we've done. And so a strong, biblical church member, member of the body of Christ will be one who is humbled by grace humbled that we have the privilege to commit ourselves and join ourselves to a local assembly. And Paul says here in this verse, simply and straightforwardly, to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. On Wednesday nights, we started in Romans 12 a long time ago, I use this same analogy. I'll use it again. Mm -hmm. The fact that we are the recipients of grace sobers us up. When we get intoxicated with pride or when we get intoxicated with thinking too highly of ourselves and thinking, well, we ought to do things the way that I want to do them. Or I think the church needs to do what I want to do. Or I think I have the best idea of anybody else. When we get intoxicated with selfishness, when we get intoxicated with self-worth or intoxicated with ego, the thing that sobers us up is remembering that we are not worthy. There is nothing we did to earn salvation. There is nothing we, we did to, to grant ourselves salvation and the grace of God. We ought to be humbled. We ought to realize that we only exist as Christians and we only exist as members of this church by God's grace. And that ought to sober us up pretty quickly. So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Oh, well, I've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20 years, and this person over here has only been a Christian for one year. And? Well, my family has served at this church for 50 years. And? You've only had that privilege because of God's grace. Well, that person just started to Started coming to church here. And they've been given that privilege by God's grace. God does not keep track with who's been serving Him the longest and say, oh, well, they have more credit built up than the people who've only been serving me for a year or two. And if God does not keep track of those things and, and keep a a, a buildup of credit and who's got the most brownie points, then we ought not do that either. We cannot think too highly of ourselves. And again, the thing that sobers us up is what was just stated. When we're tempted to think, I've given my life to this church. Surely my voice has more pull or has more sway than that person's voice in the church who's only been coming here for a few years. The thing that sobers us up is remembering it is only by God's grace that I've been able to give my life in service To this church. It is only by God's grace that I get to call myself a Christian at all. I am nobody. I am nothing. Christ is everything. Do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. But think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. As in one body we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. That is another thing that ought to humble us. As a member of the body of Christ, our actions are not isolated. Our actions do not just affect us. Our actions do not only affect our family. Our actions affect the entire body of Christ. When there is a, a sick member, and I don't mean sick physically in this regard, I mean spiritually. When there is a sick member, when there is a member who is stumbling or struggling or that is that is weak or sick, it affects the entire body. When there is a member who becomes puffed up with pride and tries to march along in front of the rest of the body and tries to take charge and lead the way because they've been puffed up with their own with their own knowledge or their own progress in the faith. But instead of humbling them it has puffed themselves up. And they try to take charge. That affects the body. We are not isolated. We are all part of the same body. That is a very humbling thought. That is a very sobering thought. That my actions, my thoughts, my desires as a believer in some almost mysterious way, it affects Bernard. And it affects Matt. And it affects their spouses. And it affects their families. For all those who are truly saved, it affects them. And we are to be one. We are to be united. And we are to to strengthen the weak parts. And we are to seek to grow together. That ought to sober us up. That ought to humble us. Now, the temptation there is to say, well, no, that's just something that I did. It's just me. I'm autonomous. Scripture clearly tells us we're not. If we have been baptized into the body of Christ, if we're truly saved, we're not autonomous. In fact, Scripture tells us plainly, you are not your own. So first and foremost, we are His, purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Secondly, we are now a part of the body of Christ. Therefore, the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think, the things that we pursue, they all affect the entire body. That is a sobering thought. Jump down to verse 9. Romans 12 verse 9. Let love be genuine. We spent much time there on Wednesday night for a while. Not this past Wednesday night, sorry. A few weeks back. Do not overlook the fact that that is within the church. Look look to your left, look to, to the right, look at the people who you attend church with. And I pray that it is so much more than, oh, well, these are the people that I attend church with. I pray that we have the realization about us that we say, These are the brothers and sisters. These are the men and the women that God, by His grace, He has saved them too. And He has brought us together in a local assembly and we get to worship and serve alongside of one another. And God says, let love be genuine. Let it not be the type of love that simply greets people at the door, says it's good to see you, tells them bye at the end of the service, tells them we'll see you next week, and never thinks about them during the week. Never prays for them. Never cares for them. Let it not be a false love. Let it be a Christ-like love and let it be genuine. Abhor what is evil. That's a word that we don't use very often. But just simply think of the, the highest magnitude of hatred that you could that you could fathom. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. Every believer and the entire local assembly should abhor what is evil. What are some things that are evil? Pride, dissension, division, arrogance, false humility, false love. We should abhor these things. Anything that is against God's word. Anything that is against God. We should abhor these things. So on the one hand we abhor what is evil. On the other we hold fast. We cling to what is good. We cling to what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor. And again that one I would say is directly connected to humility. The only way that we can have a desire to truly outdo one another in showing honor. Honoring and glorifying God, but also honoring and glorifying the body and honoring and glorifying others through service to them. You're not going to do that if you don't have the spirit of humility. You're not going to do that if you're thinking too highly of yourself. Right? Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. For those of you who say... I'm a very simple-minded person. I love things that are just simple, straightforward, easy to understand. Okay, you call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a part of the body of Christ. Serve the Lord. It could not be more simple than that. When you wake up tomorrow morning, your duty as a Christian, which means your duty in life, is not to serve yourself. It's not to serve your spouse. It's not to serve your family your chief priority is to serve the Lord. And by the way, when we serve the Lord, all of those other things will be in line. God is the one who instructs us on how to serve our spouse, how to honor our spouse. God is the one who instructs us on how to serve our family and honor our family. God is the one who instructs us on how to serve our church family and honor the church family and be a church member. God is the one who instructs us on all of these things Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. So there's a lot there in Romans 12 in regards to humility. And then this is going to take us to the closing of the sermon. Turn now to Philippians chapter 2 if you would. Another letter from Paul to a church. This one, the church, the body of believers at Philippi. Starting in verse 1 of Philippians 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love and being in full accord of one mind. There should be great unity and great love within the body of Christ. Where do we find this perfectly exemplified? Where do we find this chiefly exemplified? In the person of Jesus Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition, conceit, or conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than you count yourselves. Humility. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. What we do does not just affect us. We should not be seeking to just serve ourselves. We should acknowledge we are a part of the body of Christ. We serve one another and we glorify God together. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Real quick, do not take the things that I'm about to say and do not take that passage to mean something twisted like this. Oh, well if I really want to be out in front and if I really want to be somebody who's at the top of best church members, I need to just humble myself and then God will put me at the top. That is foolish thinking. That is a perversion of what this passage means. You say, well, that's what it said. Jesus humbled Himself and then God exalted Him. So if I want to be somebody that God exalts, I need to humble myself and then God will exalt me. That's a poor understanding of the text. I'm sure that some preacher out there nowadays has probably preached the passage that way. And it's still just as wrong even though a pastor preached it. Do not take these verses to come up with some kind of formula of If I humble myself, then God will exalt me. What's the point of what Paul is saying here? If Christ, second person of the Trinity, equal with the Father, if Christ humbled Himself and was obedient even to the death of the cross, and He Himself is our example, then what are we to be and what are we to do as believers? We are to humble ourselves And be obedient to the work that the Father has given us. And by the way, for those of you who may say, well yeah, but that exaltation part, that seems pretty cool to me. I mean, who doesn't want to be exalted? Who don't? Through salvation, what are we to receive at the end of the age? Eternal life with Christ in glory forever. And we get to see Him in the glory that He has had since before the foundation of the earth. That is how we are exalted in Christ, so to speak. But what are we to do in this life on this earth as we serve alongside of one another? We humble ourselves even as Christ did. And we are obedient to the work and the will of the Father that He has given to us just as Christ was humble and obedient. And Paul continues on and he says, Therefore, my beloved... So here again. Therefore, church members, therefore... Members of the local assembly, listen. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Those of you who call yourself saved, those of you who call yourself members of the body of Christ, work out your own salvation. Serve God, serve the Lord. Because it's God who works within you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So as God has regenerated you and He has called you to be born again and as God works in your life to give you the desire to serve Him, do it. Serve the Lord. Work out your own salvation. Be in service to the King. Be obedient. And now we come to the section that will be the closing of this sermon. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We cannot overlook the context of this verse. This is not Paul talking to one person and saying, okay, individual, you need to do all things without murmuring or disputing. This is Paul talking to a local assembly. Talking to a local body of believers. And he says, Do all things without murmuring or disputing. Humble yourselves as Christ was humble. Be obedient as Christ was humble. Or as Christ was obedient. Work out your own salvation. Because it is God who works within you to even give you the desire to serve Him. And do these things without murmuring or disputing. Now, I would invite you to just consider, do not speak out loud. Don't be throwing your ideas out there. Don't be throwing your history lessons out there right now. But just in what you know of South Georgia church history... Of the last 30, 40, 50 years. I can only go, th- go back 32 years. But for those of you who can go back 40, 50 years, let's, let's, let's think about for a moment the church history just in our South Georgia area. Consider how much murmuring and how much disputing you've heard in your lifetime among Christians. Now, I'm not talking about, listen, there is a, there is a disputing, you could, to use that term. There is a disputing that sometimes Christians ought to get involved in, and here's what I mean. When there is a debate or when there is friction about what God's Word actually teaches, then yeah, there's going to be some debate, there's going to be some dispute there. Because Christians ought to seek to rightly divide and rightly understand the word of truth. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about murmuring and disputing over what color carpet to put out front. That would be an example of what we're talking about here. Paul is talking about murmuring and disputing over things that don't amount to anything. In fact, to give you an example from the book of Philippians. Now we're not given the details. But just turn to Philippians chapter 4. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we're not given the details. But here's what we're, here's what we're given. They were not in agreement. There was a dispute. There was murmuring. There was friction between these two women. And Paul calls them by name. And he says, I implore you. I entreat you. Tell them to agree. That's how important unity and genuine love and peace in the body of Christ. That's how important it is. Paul, in his letter, he's not even there in person. Paul, in his letter, calls these two women by name. We live in a society today that would say, why did he do that? That, I bet that was embarrassing for them. I can't believe he called them by name. You can't call people out like that. Yes, you can. And he did. Why? Because all things should be without murmuring or disputing. There should be no division. You say, okay, I get that. But really, how big of a deal is that? Keeping in mind the last 30, 40, 50 years of South Georgia church history and all of the murmurings or disputings that we've heard of happening or that we ourselves have been a part of. Consider this next part that Paul says here. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you want to know something that directly that directly affects and diminishes the witness and the brightness of the light that we shine into the darkness around us? When we as believers murmur and dispute and grumble and can't get along with one another, When what we're supposed to be doing is shining as lights in the darkness around us, shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, if we're too busy grumbling and murmuring and disputing among ourselves, that has a direct, diminishing effect on our testimony and our witness to the world around us and the darkness around us. That's why it's so important. That is why it is so important. So now thinking about the last 30, 40, 50 years of South Georgia church history, now expand that to American history. Many of us would say, I cannot believe the culture and the society is in the shape that it's in today. How did we get here? I'll tell you. One of the ways that we got here, I'm not going to sit here and say that I can tell you all the answers, but one obvious way that is staring us in the face and we've got to be willing to own up to it is the fact that the American church has been too busy trying to entertain the lost rather than edifying the saints. And we've been too busy at war among ourselves and division among ourselves. We've been too busy away from the Word of God that we have had little to no cultural, societal influence as far as shining a light into the darkness and calling people to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And so we find ourselves in the shape that we're in today. You say, Caleb, well, how, how'd how you come to that conclusion? That we're when we're murmuring and we're disputing and we're arguing amongst ourselves and we can't figure out what we believe, how do you make the connection that, that is, that's because we've been too far separated and we've been distant from the Word of God? Well, What's the next thing that Paul says here? Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. A local body of believers, the entire body of Christ, ought to be a body that is, we started with salvation, must be born again. We ought to be humbled under the mighty hand of God, humbled by grace. We ought to be unified. Our love should be genuine. We ought to be serving God together. And what is the root of all of that? Where do we find out about salvation? Where do we find out about grace? Where do we find, where do we find out about repentance? Where do we find out about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Where do we read the gospel? How do we have knowledge of the gospel? How do we have knowledge that all those who are saved make up the body of Christ? how do we have knowledge that we're supposed to do things without grumbling and disputing how do I, how do we have knowledge of humility how do we have any knowledge of truth whatsoever we have the word of truth and when god's people neglect the word we will busy ourselves with something else We'll busy ourselves with coming up with our own philosophies or theories. We'll busy ourselves with murmuring and disputings. We'll busy ourselves with us trying to take the power. With us trying to have the control and authority. We'll busy ourselves with lots of things. But one thing is for sure. When we are distant from the Word. And when we are busy with murmuring and disputing. We are not shining as lights as we ought to be. And we are not shining in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation when we look and act just like that crooked and perverse generation. Specifically in how we handle problems. I'm not talking about the lifestyle choices. I'm talking about how we handle problems. The world handles problems by whoever can shout the loudest, whoever can get the the biggest following to follow them. They're going to win the battle. They're going to win the war. And sadly in many churches... That's how people fight their battles. Well, I'm going to shout the loudest. I'm going to be be the meanest. And I'm going to get the most people on my side. So that my side will win the war. So enough with the negative side of things. Let's come back to the positive side of things. And look at what we are to do and what we are to be. We humble ourselves. We are obedient to the Word. We do all things without murmuring and disputing and we hold fast to the word of life to the word of truth and in this that doesn't necessarily just mean that we hold fast to it and we know what it says that means that we are obedient to it that we know it that we're obedient to it and that we will share it and proclaim it with those around us the church we know elsewhere from scripture second timothy that the first timothy that the church is to be a pillar of truth The church cannot be a pillar of truth if we are not holding fast to the word of truth and the word of life. In verse 17, Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so we end... In a way, where we began, Paul wrote both of these letters. Romans 12, he says, to live your life as a living sacrifice. Here, at the end of this little section, he says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm good with it and I rejoice in it. And so we cut Paul, Paul refers to himself as a drink offering being poured out. So he's living his life. He's. He's living. Uh, he's practicing his ministry as, a, as an offering to God. And he says, if I'm the drink offering that gets poured out upon your sacrificial offering, because you are to be living your lives as living sacrifices, and you exist as a sacrifice and an offering to God. So if I'm the drink offering that's poured out upon your sacrificial offering, we should all be able to rejoice together. I'm glad to rejoice with you, and likewise, you should be glad to rejoice with me. Because we all exist as offerings to the living God. And again, I would ask, how many of us view our lives and how many of us view our church life in that manner and in that way? One last thing that I will note. Don't turn there. <clears throat> and this will be something that, I'm, that I will joyfully be expounding upon. Whenever we uh, have some baby dedications. But Titus chapter 3, and this, this to me is tied to church membership as well. Titus chapter 3 mentions that the older, older women should teach the younger women. And, and then by default, the, the older men teach the younger men. But it's a, it's a blessing and an honor to have families that join the church. That God brings men and women who then they will have their own little men and little women who are raised up in the faith. But there's a responsibility as a part of the body of Christ that we do teach one another. That we grow alongside of one another. And yes, as I referenced earlier, there is what's, what so many people refer to as like the negative side of being a church member or part of the body of Christ. But there is discipline. There is correction. Why? Because we're all in this together. We're all pursuing the glory of God together. And if one of us steps out of line or if one of us begins to seemingly fall away, we are to reach out to that person and call them to repentance. And if the need arises, yes, we are to practice church discipline. But it is to be the older and the younger together. It is to be the families that have been here for 40 years, 50 years, and the families that have been here for two minutes together Serving one another, teaching one another, growing alongside of one another. And so all of us together, as your pastor, I would say, I hope that this sermon today and these passages of Scripture today and, and how we approach them, recognizing that these are letters to local assemblies. These are letters to believers. So if we today are going to call ourselves Mendy's Baptist Church, and we've got people who want to join our church family, then we are a local assembly of believers. And each local assembly of believers is to be fully submitted to the Word of God. Humbled by grace. Unified. Loving. Joyfully submitted to God and joyfully submitted to one another. And if you will, in closing, I'll say this. It's almost as if and we sing songs like "Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus" and what is the um, "Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, You Soldiers of the Cross." But there's another one that has like a heavy military theme that I'm drawing a blank on right now. But nevertheless, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are also in the fight together. We, as a church body, we're not just called to just worship together and then sit idly by together we serve together when we leave here today we know that there are lost people in Glenville we know that there are lost people in the surrounding areas we know that there are people in the surrounding areas that are are waging war against God and against the truth we were talking about that a little bit in Sunday school and we as believers there is there ought to be some fight in us now as believers we fight differently than the world fights But we fight by holding fast to the word of truth and the word of life. And preaching it and proclaiming it and teaching it and sharing it. And when you look around this church you say. These are the ones that I stand beside. These are the ones that I worship beside. These are the ones that I fight alongside. This. These people are my brothers and sisters in the fight together. My brothers and sisters who are recipients of grace just as I am. My brothers and sisters that God has brought me to. That God has given me the privilege to worship alongside of. Fight alongside of. Serve alongside of. Weep alongside of. Rejoice alongside of. Because God is a good and gracious God who not only saves us. But gives us brothers and sisters. To grow in the faith. And to grow in love. Alongside of us. And so we rejoice in that. And I pray that all of us would consider these things. And so that now that we come to the point where we say even today and in the Sundays ahead, if we've got more that join, that we ought to be able to truly rejoice in adding people to our church membership, not in the way that says well, praise the Lord. That was a good service today. We even had a few people join the church. Praise God. You know, people are joining the church. People are getting baptized. It, God's just moving in our church. Where it's beyond the superficial. Church membership is not exciting just because you got more people who say, hey, we're staying here. Church membership ought to be something that we rejoice in because we acknowledge the deepness and the gravity of it from Scripture. That we have any men or women. That we have any families that are saying we want to worship here. We want to serve God here. We are acknowledging God's goodness. We are acknowledging God's grace. And we are glorifying God through choosing to place our families here. And to commit to be a part of this body. I pray that in some cases we may never view church membership the same. That we can't help but think about the gravity of it. And that we can truly celebrate it. Today. So.